How do I know? Because I could not find peace. How do I know Jesus is alive? In August 1963, He walked into my life. I still make mistakes. Sin still impacts my life. But I know peace. Jesus is alive. In that video, you saw a blue bottle. Completely dirty. It was lost. And that's what happens to us when we get lost. Some are lost. They're going to be lost for all eternity. For Jesus is not Lord of your life. Some of you have come to know Jesus. But you made other things a priority. And you've got lost again. And in that video, they demonstrated lostness. Completely dirty. Hear my next statement. Lostness will make you feel completely dirty. But that bottle was found. And when it was found, it was washed. And when it was washed, it became useful. And it became something beautiful. Jesus is alive. And He's looking for you. Maybe for the first time in your experience. Maybe because you've wandered away since you met Him. Jesus is alive. Today we're going to look at that in the Bible. We're going to look about that Jesus is alive. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke, the very last chapter. Matter of fact, when you turn to the 24th chapter, you ought to see the end is near. Finally. You remember when we started this? Two years ago, really. And we will end this. God allows that the Sunday before Easter. And I said, I said, read Luke through each month. The first day of the month, read Luke. And then the second day of the month, or Luke 1, Luke 2. If you did that, you read Luke 24 times. I didn't read it 24 times. I didn't know it was going to go that long. This is my first journey to ever do a look at Luke and go through it verse by verse. And it's been a joy. But the best part of Luke is coming up. The part that talks about Jesus being alive. And I hope you'll look with me. And if you've got those New Testaments, it's page 75. Before we get started, I'd like for us to pray. So bow with me. Father, this is your time. And God, we're privileged to sit before You. And Father, we ask that in this time, You would help us see truth. Help us to see what is there before us. Help us not to see it so quickly, but help us see it in its reality, in its life situation. 
And help us to see what it was to mean to those people who walked and talked and experienced Jesus. And God, have that to be application in our life. I ask You again, help us to see truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you happen to look through your worship handout, there's quite a bit of information about our Touch Someone's Life gift. We're going to to receive a gift today, a monetary gift, and it explains that. We normally don't. I say this every time. If people want to give to Connection, they just put it in the box back there. And uh, But, at the end of the month, fourth or fifth week, we take what we call Touch Someone's Life gift. It's not an offering. It's a gift. And everybody that wants to put into this offering, in just a little bit, we're going to pass popcorn bags, and you put in, it's going to become a gift to someone. It's not going to be used by the church. It's going to be used to encourage someone. And when we receive that offering, the lead team's going to take it out, count it. They'll bring it back in. Then to worship, I'll call somebody by name and ask you to come up here and I'll give you that gift. That gift's not for you. That gift is for you to take this week and to give to someone. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, then I encourage you to just drop something in the paper bag as it goes by. If, if, if you've not been a connection very long, I encourage you to keep your pocketbook closed. <laughs> this church does not exist to get your money. People who know Jesus, people who are touched by this church will give their money. The Bible teaches that. So we're not doing this to get your money. Whatever money we get, if we only got $20, give that to somebody at the right time and that's a great encouragement. This church has been amazing. We've been doing this, I think February was one year. We've given over $7,500. 45 different people have given that money away. And I so appreciate Connection being that way. So I'd like the lead team to come on up to the front, begin taking that offering, and when they pass that bag down, you pass it down, and, and, uh, and then they'll pick it up, okay? Let me say while you're doing that, thank you. Man, thank you for your kindness. I feel so loved, so many people concerned. My journey will go on into May. You've got to do another procedure to be sure that what they did a week ago stays open and stays working. And, and uh, So it's just getting my stamina back. If you want to pray, I've shared with the lead team through this. We didn't know I was going to go in the hospital for five days. Went to the hospital on a Tuesday. Things didn't work out on the test. I was just supposed to be taking a blood test. And then they said, let's do another test. And they said, you've got to go to a specialist over near St. Louis or Belleville and... and uh, there five days. Uh, now it's just stamina. It's got to get my stomach where it can accept food. So, and I've shared that once I was over at Belleville, I text all the lead team so they would be praying. Uh, you want to pray? Just pray that God continue to do recovery there so I can eat. Uh, had some good food yesterday, a baked potato <laughs> in applesauce. So, and I need to get that. And some of you have mentioned, and I don't want to call a lot of detail, I hate up here in the platform to talk about myself. I really do. Some of you know me personally. No, I hate that. Lost 20 pounds today. You know, they've asked me every time I go in, have you put any more pounds on? And <laughs> lost a pound from yesterday to today. I'm 174 pounds now. And, uh, you know, before near 200, now I'm down there. But uh, I just need to eat food. And so that stomach. So I've asked the lead team to pray that my stomach 
would be receptive to food. So that I could move on, because I really think that would help a lot. Uh, some of you worry about me doing anything. Every one of my doctors have said, you've got to force yourself to do stuff. You'll sit down. You've got to force... And they're right. It's easy to just want to go lay down again. And so I do. The thing, if you want to help me, is I'm not supposed to pick up anything heavy, but I am supposed to pick up some things. Uh, everything up here is too heavy. But... Uh, Little containers. I carry things for Laura and she wants to carry them. And you all think she's a bad wife because I get out of the car and I carry for her. She is a bad wife. But uh, uh. Now listen, you got to understand, this is not 1960. She's a bad wife. This is 2000, okay? 2100. That means good. But uh, So, I'm, gonna, I'm getting better. Every day is some kind of improvement. So I appreciate that. I do feel loved. Good to be with you. Okay, we're in our Bibles. Let's open them up there. We've got to look at the 50th verse, 23rd chapter. I'm sorry, I said 24th chapter. 23rd chapter will end in the 24th chapter today. 23rd chapter, the 50th verse. Okay? 23rd chapter, the 50th verse. It says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. and He was a member of the Jewish high council. 51 says, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Now let me just say about Joseph, and I don't try to go too much in the background. Uh, You can go buy a book and read it. Uh, And I I could impress you, and I don't want to do that, saying, look how much I know, because I'd rather get into application. But you do need to understand, Joseph was a wealthy man. And he was a member of the, the Jewish high council. Okay, and According to John 19, I think it's 38, John says he was a secret disciple. Okay, Because it wouldn't have been a popular thing to be on the Jewish council and speak for Jesus. Okay, he, The disciples who followed Jesus publicly, they fled. We've talked about that. They sort of went and hid. I mean, look what's happened to their leader. What might happen to them. They're behind locked doors. And... Uh, Joseph does something. He does something that could cost him dearly. I want to call attention to that. You see, it could cost him dearly because he's going to go and he's going to ask for the body of Jesus that he might give it proper burial. Because criminals are usually just thrown over to what we might call a dump or a heap. The body's just thrown over. Dogs come and they eat the flesh. Birds come and they eat it. Or in that fire, they burn up, and when it cools down, the animals come and take what's left on the bones. Because you see, sometimes you make choices that cost you dearly. It would be so much easier to say, I'm sorry, God, you're not a priority today. Something else is. But you make the choice of making God a priority, and it costs you dearly. Sometimes in the choice of your words and your thoughts, it costs you dearly. Because your character is to lend toward what is not good. But you know Jesus is Lord. And He's alive. And you choose when you want to retaliate. When you want to give in to your weakness. You choose what costs you dearly. And maybe nobody else knows the cost. But God does. What Joseph is doing is a very admirable thing in that day. In the relationships of the people he's with. Some would call him a fool. Maybe some in your family call you a fool. Because you see, 
You choose for God. And it costs you dearly in time, energy, expense, whatever it is. It goes on in 52. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Now according to Matthew 27.60, Joseph placed Jesus in his own tomb. This tomb belonged to him. Excuse me. A large stone. This tomb would have been carved into a mountainside. A large stone would have been rolled against its entrance. All this is important information. Because you see, the tomb is identified. It's in a mountaintop. Mountainside, I'm sorry. It belongs to Joseph Arimathea. Not just a, an average guy, a wealthy man. People could find the tomb. You see, when I'm in the university and still on the internet sometimes, people will tell you they went to the wrong tomb. I don't want to take time to talk about that. Used to, I'm younger. Try to convince people. I'm just telling you, if you study the evidence, they knew where this tomb was. And that's important. Because they could go and they could look at the empty grave. You and I can't. We're 2,000 years removed. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But for them... They're only going to be three days removed. And they can find out. The Bible says this. Look on the screen. Isaiah 53.9 The Bible says, 700 years before the burial of Jesus, He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he, would bury, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And I just remind you of this. Not to get you to say, boy, isn't Mike great? He knows these prophecies. No. I remind you of this because I want you to understand, this is God's book. And God tells us these things many hundreds of years before, centuries before, because God wants us to know this is His book. No man can predict like God can. And God is telling us, I'm showing you I know what's happening. Because God wants us to understand this is His book. And Jesus Christ is His Son, His Messiah. There is no other. He is the only one. So He tells us these things so that we will remember them and see God's finger pointing to Jesus of Nazareth. It goes on in verse 54, this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. The Sabbath was a Saturday, okay? It's the seventh day of the week. Sunday's the first day. As his body, 55 says, his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. I'm going to tell you today, we don't know exactly where this tomb is. You go over to Israel, they'll, they'll lead you to a site and they'll take you through and say, this is probably it. We don't know. Someone says, why don't we know? Because you see, they stopped going to the grave. Jesus had risen from the dead. You don't read anything. You read nothing in the Gospels. You read nothing in the Acts. You read nothing in the letters of the New Testament that Christians make this pilgrimage. Look, we're people. Sometimes we get attached to a location. Oh boy, the church. 
Someday this church will maybe fall down this building. The church of the people. The grave carried no more significance after the people could go and look. Now it's the testimony, the witness, and Jesus said, you know, you stay in Jerusalem now. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to come on you so you got some kind of miracle working power. He says so you can be my witness. Any kind of miracle that God does should be a witness. So the grave is insignificant. And we don't know where that tomb is today. Because they didn't keep going to it. I want to say here, again, the Bible reminds us of the nearness of women to Jesus. They knew exactly where Jesus' body was laid. They followed. They could not speak up in the high council, the Jewish high council. Women were of no count. Men could get closer to God when they go to the temple than the women could get. The women, Jewish women could just get closer than the, the Gentiles could get. These women could not speak up in the Roman experience in this trial for Jesus. Women's words meant nothing. But they could do something. And listen, they did what they could. They decided that they would stay close. They would stay close. When the cross was experienced, the disciples all fled. Only John, the Gospels tell us, was there at the foot of the cross. But the women were there. And when it was time for the body to be buried, the women followed. They couldn't do some things, but they could do something. And they were going to do something. Look on your worship handout. The first blank. Look at the statement I wrote there. I believe because that they were devoted to staying close. I believe because they were devoted to staying close to Jesus' body, they experienced the excitement of being the first to witness God's wonderful movement in the resurrection. You know how when your kid plays a ball game? Don't miss it. When your grandson has or granddaughter has a ball game? Don't miss it. When your kid's going to put on a play, when your kid's going to have a recital, don't miss it. Those who miss it may miss something wonderful. I think these women were devoted to staying close to Jesus and His body. And because they did, they got to be the first to witness God's wonderful movement in the resurrection. As followers of Jesus, we can feel we can't do much for Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we may say, you know, I'm not like Pastor Mike. I don't get those wonderful inspirations. Or like Josh when he preaches. Or Matt when he preaches. But what we can do as followers of Jesus Christ, we can stay close to His body. Understand that His body is still on the earth today. Jesus is in heaven. The right hand of God. That's what the Scriptures tells us in the New Testament. But His body is right here on earth. The body is the church. It's located here. It's located down the road. It's located down the road across from the airport, across the highway. It's located all over. It's located in that direction, in that direction, in that direction. You see, this is His body. And the problem is, sometimes we don't stay close to it and we miss out on God's wonderful movement. 
It is in the church that many people will find opportunity to do something for Jesus. I will venture to say, you may want to do something for Jesus. You may think you're a wildcat, and boy, you got the Spirit of God, and you can go out and do something for Jesus. But the New Testament teaches He works through His body. Stop being a wildcat and become very involved in His body. Because when you stay close to the body, many opportunities present themselves. You can do everything, but you can do something. And you stay close to the body and God will show you. 56, verse 56 goes on, Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint His body. That's just their custom of honoring the dead. It's sort of like you taking flowers to the cemetery. They would put spices on the body. You see, because it would start smelling. So they would go in and they would cover it. Verse 56 goes on, but by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. Old Testament law says you can't work on the Sabbath. So they've got to quit doing this because this would be considered work. Now look at the 24th chapter, first verse. But very early on Sunday morning, now that's the first day of the week. I thought about again taking time to explain why we worship on Sunday instead of on the seventh day. You know, you've heard of Seventh-day Adventists. They're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ as a group. Now I'm not saying every one of them do. Do I believe everybody in this building believes in Jesus Christ as Lord? That's hard to believe. You know if you do. You know whether He's Lord or He's not. But there's some Christians who would still say you ought to worship on the seventh day. It's Old Testament law. New Testament tells us Christians began gathering together on the first day. And you see why? Because on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb. Now, how did they know which tomb to go to? What was it? It hadn't been but three days. Joseph of Arimathea, also they went and saw Jesus placed in the tomb. Want to hit that. And you young people need to understand that because you'll get with some of these, you go to college, there's going to be people going to argue what they've been arguing for decades. And one of those arguments is, they just got confused. They knew where to go. They had been there on Friday. I don't care if they had got drunk on Saturday and had a hangover. Surely on Sunday they knew where to go. So it says they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Again, they wanted, they're just going for one reason to show love and respect. They're going to stay close to that body, show love and respect. I don't know why you came this morning. God heard my time and my prayer before I even left my home. He heard me then say it over here. God, let the message bring honor to you. And I'm only here because I love Him and I respect Him. That's why they're doing this. I hope you mature to a place that getting with the body is not a habit. Though it should become a habit. I like holding my wife's hand. She likes that. So I've learned over 44 years out of love and respect, reach for it. And it's become a habit. But it's bore out of love and respect. That's all these ladies are trying to do. Verse 2 says, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
Now I want you to understand, if you read the Gospels, you get confused about one angel, two angels, how many angels, what's going on. Matthew 28.2 said it's an angel that speaks to the woman. And so just because one Gospel writer says it's this many angels and one says that, Matthew tells us it's an angel that speaks to the woman. And that's the important thing. Because you're going to go off, some of you young people are going to talk with, with other young people and they're going to say, look, they're competing with each other. They're conflicting reports. You and I could go out there and look at certain cars and you'd say it's white and I'd say it's cream. And you'd say I'm crazy and I'd say you're stupid. Right? An angel, Matthew tells us, spoke to the woman. Now, let's, let's look at the stone for a minute. Why did it need to be rolled away? Did Jesus need a rolled away to come out? We're going to see a little bit. He can go through walls. His body is the resurrected body. Why did the stone need to be rolled away? Did Jesus need it to exit? No. The stone needed to be rolled away so that people could go in and see the empty tomb. Do you hear me? If God was so powerful, why did He roll away that stone? Because we all act like we're from Missouri. I won't believe it until I see it. That's why the stone had rolled away. It was removed so people could go in. They could touch it. Shroud of turpin. It, it, that's that linen cloth, we would say. And, and that's there's nothing, nothing in church history about that thing. But if you'd went in, you think you might have picked up the linen and felt it? I mean, people probably would have messed up all the evidence. It was so people could go in. They could walk around. This is where we laid his body. Some kid hops up there, sits down. Some old man sits down. They're looking around. That's where the stones rode away. So people can go in and see. See, that's all evidence. We're 2,000 years. And I know I always bring up this evidence because in 44 years I've learned people sitting in the pews don't study like people who get theological training. And people get theological trained trying to impress you with their knowledge. And I just want to impress you with the evidence that God gave. Because it's the evidence that builds your confidence. If I don't know how to change a carburetor, don't they still put carburetors on cars? If I don't know how to change spark plugs, they still put spark plugs. You don't want to bring your car to me. Because the evidence is whenever you try to start, it's going to kunkle, 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 kunkle. See, it's the evidence. And the stone is rolled away so people three days later could walk in there. See, I don't understand all this. And you're going to see they don't understand it. But I'm going to tell you, the body is not there. Look at verse 3. So they went in. Now tombs cut in mountainsides in that country back then were normally made so that people could walk in and they could. The openings are usually not real tall, so you bend over, but you could go in and you could be with your loved one. You could stand erect for a while. So, they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
You, you know what this would be? This would be a what situation. What? That's what it would be. What? Can you imagine you're in there and all of a sudden somebody comes through the door. What? Somebody else. What? This would have been a what situation. Where's the body? What? Where's the body? And when we read it, we need to get in there with them. We need to experience it. Can you imagine if you would have had the privilege to walk in there and see that? What? Look at verse 4. As they stood there puzzled, that makes sense. I would have been too. Maybe. You might have been too. Maybe. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. There's that face down experience. Then the men asked. Now again, let me say, Matthew, Mark, and John all identify the one who spoke to these ladies as an angel. We say, who are these men? Matthew, Mark, and John all identify the person who spoke to the, the ladies as an angel. So these and one of these men is speaking to the lady. These men are angels. Look at the question they ask. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? Their question is, why are you in the place of the dead looking for the living? And that is an important question. Because if churches aren't careful we become places that it looks like all we do is mourn. It's on our face. It's in our expressions. And somebody comes in and they think, boy, are these people in mourning because there's no excitement about a living Lord. Why are you in the place of the dead looking for a live person? Sometimes we still act like we're just mourning. Instead of celebrating. And I'm sorry to say, it can become a tradition for church people to come together. For men. For women. To set the example for their young people and their children. Don't get excited anymore. Don't celebrate anymore. And I dare to say there's not one of you. If you plant flowers... When the first flower comes up. Hey honey, come and look! Look at this flower! If you plant fruit or vegetables, and that first vegetable comes out. Woohoo, honey, come and look! Look what's alive! And of course, I know guys, when you go to the hospital, and you see that child, oh my, another one? No! A baby! Here, have a cigar! Have a candy bar! Have something! You see, when we know something's alive, we celebrate. But how come when we come into God's house, we got to hold it all in? Man, can you believe it? There's a chance, and I know this excites all of three Big Ten teams can be in the Final Four! Woohoo! Some of you are saying, what? (laughs) 
Well, those are all maybe silly illustrations. I tried to hit something that hits everybody. But I'm going to tell you, when somebody new walks onto our property, they ought to see people who are excited about celebrating. Oh, come on in. Going out and meeting them. When they come in, somebody else meeting them. Celebrating. You don't have to act crazy. Don't do somersaults on the floor. But celebrate. We're glad you're here. Today we hope you experience something. Yeah, the angel says, what are you doing in a dead place of the dead? Looking for a live person. Jesus is not among the dead. He's alive, right? That's right. Jesus is not among the dead. He's alive, right? Yeah. We need to look for His involvement among the living. There's some people go to church and they say, not much has happened in my church. I'm going to tell you, that person, that person probably isn't looking except for what they can get. Jesus is alive in connection. If you want to know He's alive, I'm going to tell you, stay close to the body and do something and see the changes that He's bringing, the transformation that He's bringing. Verse 6 goes on. He isn't here, the angel says. He has risen from the dead. I'd recommend that you underline the next five words. When you read this passage, this is what you must not forget. Remember what He told you. Remember what He told you. See, He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what He told you. Back in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that He would rise again on the third day. See, the angel reminds them of what Jesus had accurately predicted three days, not even three days before, because He talked about this before. At the time, this didn't connect with their mind. Now listen to me. Sometimes we forget the promises of God because frustration, despair, and defeat is what we are experiencing. And we forget the promises. And in the midst of our hurting, in the midst of our, our, our uncertainty, we forget the promises of God. And our mind doesn't put it all together. And you know, the promises, the Word of God is especially for us when we are uncertain about what's going on now and what's going to happen tomorrow. Whenever they put me in the hospital and, and the treatments and the experience and the concern on the face and the concern on those who were my medical people, began reading the book of Joshua. Because in the book of Joshua, Joshua is told to be, don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged. But be very, be courageous. Be very courageous. And I needed that then. And if you would have been with me during those times of medication, med, medication, meditation, you'd been with me through those times of meditation, you would have saw how God picked me up. 
My situation knocked me back down. God would pick me up. See, they didn't put it all together. The angel is saying, remember. Remember what He has told you. Because that's what they needed. They were hurting. They were uncertain. Their minds were, were, were clouded with confusion. And as long as you think the power's in you, you're going to try to do it on your own. You're going to try to do it by getting with somebody, getting with something else. You're not going to get with the person Jesus. See, this is Him. This is His Word. He was called the Word of God. This is the Word of God. You've got to get with the Word. The Bible tells us this. Look on the screen, Luke 9.22. Jesus is speaking. He said this before the crucifixion. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, He said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, He will be raised from the dead. See, He had told them this, but they forgot what He said. The Bible says, look again at the screen, Luke the ninth chapter, the 44th verse, Jesus said, listen to me and remember what I said. That's the important thing. See, they forgot what Jesus said. And that's what happens to you and I sometimes because defeat enters our life. Frustration. Hurt. Uncertainty. Listen to me and remember what I said. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. The Bible says, look on the screen, this time it's the 18th chapter of Luke. Many, many days later, months, Jesus is speaking, talking to the twelve, taking the twelve disciples aside. Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. Look what Jesus is telling them. Guys, this is going to happen. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him and with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. How many times do you need to be reminded? Read the words of Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need. Remember his words. Because His words speak to us. They empower us. I am God's special creation. You are God's special creation. Sin has marred me and it has marred you. But God sends His Spirit. And His Spirit takes the words of Jesus. His Spirit reminds us of what He said. And it is those words that take this marred, sinned, Damaged special creation and empowers it to live above the frustration and the hurt and the uncertainty. You keep trusting yourself and your ability, and you'll get knocked face down, not for the Lord. This world will knock you down. Remember what Jesus said. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the central fact of Christianity. On it the church is built. On it we find our foundation. Without it, Christianity has no bearing. Jesus' resurrection is unique. I wanted to take you through some of these because when you get on the internet, they're going to talk about these mystical gods. 
There's nobody writing books about these mystical gods except to study the culture of that time. These mystical gods did what Jesus did. No! I wish I would just have time. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Other religions have strong ethical systems. They have strong moral concepts. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Only, only Christianity has a God who became human. Now listen, literally died for His people. Only Christianity, not just became human and died, and was raised again in power and glory to rule His church forever. You look at those mystical gods. You can't even find their church. His church continues. Why is the resurrection so important? Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can experience redemption and not disaster. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can know death has been conquered. And listen, one day, I will rise. During this time, Laura and I talked about that. And the hope for her and for me. Because of Jesus' resurrection, the church has a message of hope. Just read the book of Acts. The history book of the early church. That's what it's all about. The hope! Because of the resurrection, we can find meaning. Meaning in the midst of our suffering and our turmoil. And believe me, life gets as tumultuous for me as it does for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can know the power of God that brought Jesus back from the dead is the power of God that helps me when I feel like I wished I was dead so that I can overcome this world. Look at the last blank on your message map, on your worship handout. Christians can look, look at this statement, very important I wrote. Christians can look very different and hold widely varying beliefs about politics and lifestyles because Christians do. But one central truth unites and inspires all true followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the central truth. Yeah, we know it in politics. you got democratic Christians who they say the most unkind things about their brothers and sisters who are Republicans. I'm going to tell you, First John says you may not be a Christian. You think you can do that? And your father doesn't know that? That'd be like my, my son yesterday who was with us saying all kinds of unkind things about his sisters or his brother because he doesn't agree with them. This dad would not allow that disrespect. I, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Christians hold varying beliefs about politics and lifestyle but the central truth that unites us and it inspires us as followers of Jesus is that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive, right? I was hoping to get a little bit more excitement here. Look at verse 8. I'd recommend you underline the next eight words because they go with the five I had you'd underline before. Then they remembered what He, Jesus, had said. 
Because when you read this passage, that's what it's all about. I mean, this resurrection is important, but the significance is to those people, if they're going to find comfort, is they've got to go be looking for Jesus. Because He's told them. He said the cross was going to happen. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. That's all going to happen. But look, three days, I'm going to be alive. So the angel says, why are you in the place of the dead looking for a living person? Remember what He told you. And we're told then, they remembered that He had said this. They got to thinking about Jesus' words. And it excited them. What did they have to do? They had to go tell someone. And you know what? Context? Or content? They're all women. Bless your hearts, ladies. What a legacy. Don't ever go to church. Put you down as a female. That's not healthy. It can be a body of Christ. They started putting it together. So what did they do? That's right, he had said that. Yeah, that all happened. Where is he? He's alive! So what did they do? Look at verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense. To whom? I don't have to sing with much excitement. Your wife says, why? And your sons grow up and they're just like you. They can't celebrate their faith. You hold the Bible. I don't need to have a Bible. And your sons grow up and they're just like you. And they can't get empowered. Women are all emotional. We all know that. Not us guys. all sound like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. I can understand this, please. I'm an analytical guy. I think I am. I can understand the first time people hear about the resurrection, they're saying, oh, wait, 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 this is, this is crazy. I learned cold turkey witnessing. The men that mentored me would take me out to a park We'd approach people sitting on benches. I'd go into army barracks. We'd find a guy who would be there. We'd talk to him. Go to the university. We'd go walk through the campus. Those guys, they, they would show me how to do it three, four, five times, and they'd say, okay, it's your turn. <clears throat> and then after I did it, we'd sit down. And they'd talk. They'd say, tell me how you felt. Where did you struggle? And they tried to help me. I can understand when you approach somebody maybe who's never heard Jesus rose from the dead and its concept of what He is as the Son of God. I can understand. It, that, that's sort of puzzling. That's sort of confusing. It takes time to comprehend this amazing story. I'm going to tell you the difference between traditional church and missional church is traditional church still wants to say you receive Jesus in just a two to five minute decision. And the missional church is saying just what the New Testament says. The lives of the followers should convince people want to know the person who changed the followers. That might take five minutes, but most of the time it takes weeks and months of association. Well, verse 12 says, however, 
Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb, looked, stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what happened. Well, Peter could check out the evidence, I'm going to tell you again, because he knew where the tomb was. And so when he heard this, he goes and he checks it out. But he's still puzzled about it, he still is uncertain about it. You see, only until Peter has a personal encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, will he truly believe. And for some of us, we say, you know, I want to be a Christian. I'm looking through here. Oh man, there's a man I wished was here today and he's not here. Because he's struggling with this. He wants to believe. It'd be good for him to hear this. Not until you're willing to have a personal encounter, a personal relationship with Jesus. Will you begin to comprehend all that that implies for your life? If I could believe in miracles, if I could believe in the truth of the Scriptures, if I could believe you could trust other Christians, then I'd trust Jesus, Lord. No, no, no. It all begins with a personal relationship. That's the beginning of the journey. Until Peter has that, he won't be convinced. He won't be willing to accept the fact of the resurrection. I ask you again, how many times do you have to be reminded about the words of Jesus? That personal relationship with those words and the impact it can have on your life. The Bible says this. Look on the screen. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Look what it says. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what God's trying to do with you, guy. Gal. He's trying to change the way you think. He's wanting you to think His way and not your way. That's a big step. That's the faith step. You've seen me do this before. You're living your life your way. Your thoughts. Your opinion. Your ideas. And sin just collides with you. You choose the wrong. And God speaks to your mind. Maybe today. Maybe here. Maybe at home. Maybe while you're driving a car. And God says, you know what? Your way's the wrong way. The Bible says no one can come to the Father until they repent. You see, repentance is this. God speaks and says, so let's change the way you're thinking. And the word repentance means a change. And you say, God, I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I'm living my way. And I'm going to tell you, there's people very active in churches that are still in this wrong way. And they know it. But this person says, God, I hear you. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. And I just believe what I've heard the Bible says, or I've read what the Bible says, Jesus is your Son. And on that cross at Calvary, He died for me and He rose from the dead. My life can change. And you turn. And you start following Jesus. 
See, God's trying to change your thinking. And on that road, listen, Satan comes. And he says, remember how you used to think? Come on, come on back. And he keeps trying to pull you off. Can't take your salvation from you. I'll talk about that someday. But he tries to pull you away. Because on this road, if you allow God to continue to work with your thinking, it's going to make a difference in your life. And that's going to touch other people's lives. And that can change the destiny of your family. And you just walk. And when you get off of it, the Bible says you just say, God, Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry. Listen to me. This is not any positive thinking. This is not any, come on, it's all in you. I'm sorry in the name of Jesus. Forgive me. God washes it all away. And Satan will tell you, remember what you did? Yeah, you've been a Christian for two years or 18 years. Remember what you did three years ago? And you just say, I didn't forget what Jesus' Word says. And it says, when I confess my sin, God washed it away. And God doesn't even remember that. Can you believe that? God doesn't even remember that. And all He keeps trying to do on this road till the day you die is to change your thinking. And then when you die, you're going to go, What? Wow! Another what moment. Don't copy the behavior in the custom world. They don't have time. They don't have time for worship. They don't have time for community group. They don't have time for the Bible. They don't have time to give themselves for God. Don't follow the behavior in the custom world. Commit yourself. You say, but I don't know what tomorrow's like. Commit yourself. Let God transform you by changing this. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, folks, how do we account for 2,000 years of legacy to our living Savior? I challenged any young person, because that internet will get you, find another 2,000 years of legacy. In regard to faith. If He didn't rise from the dead, how do we have this 2,000 year legacy? Jesus has become the most important person who ever lived. What is the evidence? Humans have said that. Humans have said, Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. There are more songs written about Him than anyone else who ever lived. There are more paintings about Him than anyone else who ever lived. There are more books written about Jesus than anyone else who ever lived. If you'd go to Washington, D.C., the Library of Congress, and you type in Jesus Christ, over 17,000 books would be listed. In the Library of Congress, all of this exists because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? And today, God is seeking to change the way you think. And this is the beginning of the journey for some of you. This is a continuous journey for others. You keep coming around. Not to fill a seat, but to fill your mind. Today, God wants you to commit yourself, your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. Today, God wants you to decide, I am going to be on that road and I am going to follow Jesus. I'm getting close to His body. I'm staying close to His body. And I'm going to tell you, you won't remember all that I've said today. 
Hey, that's okay. Ask me about it when you forget it. We'll talk again. But what I do not want you to forget is this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? That's right. Do we have that touch somebody? Someone's life gift? Thank you. Oh gosh. Thank you. Wow. I gotta I don't want to give this to the same people. So let me just I tell you what. Mike Church and uh, Phaedra Gentry. Mike in here? Yeah. We've, we received over $344, so we break it down because uh, that's $172. These people are going to walk up. And you know what? Because of you, they're going to give to somebody. Hey, listen. Right time, man. Woo! We're going to be an encouragement. Okay? And so, let me give you this mic and thank you and Phaedra, give that to you. Thank you. Okay? Tell you what, let's just bow together for prayer and then we're done. Father, thank You for this time. But more important, thank You for this book we have. For it helps us know the person. Jesus Christ. It's all about Him, God. It's not even about us except how He impacts our life. It's all about Him. Thank You, Father, for this book and for our Lord. We talk to You because we honor Him. Amen.